Blog Talk Radio. The Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show. The Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show. Your hosts are here for the show tonight to interview our special guest. A show highlight, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, soccer, boxing, tennis, golf, story. Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, tune in for all the news and scores, reporting on the games, and so much more, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show, the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Show. Welcome to the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Podcast. It is Friday, March 31st, 2023. Hard to believe we're a quarter of the way now through the 2023 year. And uh, tonight, obviously, we've got a lot of stuff to get to, mainly Major League Baseball as the season began yesterday uh, for uh, for Major League Baseball. And it's an exciting time of year for everyone, including myself and Alan. And Alan, tonight, uh, we're going to talk a lot about Major League Baseball. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? How are you doing so far tonight? So far, so good. I know we're having some uh, some audio and technical issues, so hopefully we can hear everything uh, fairly well here this evening. Let me know if for some reason you can't hear me. Uh, but tonight we're going to have um, we have a great time. Uh, I'm going to try to work on getting the audio fixed as the show progresses. I know that doesn't sound the best at the moment, but um, Alan, uh, tell us a little bit about what we're going to be discussing here tonight besides Major League Baseball. Oh, yeah, folks, we're going to infer for a great show tonight. You know, definitely we want to thank our great sponsor for tonight, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting. You may need a support group. So definitely get a four-pack at flbbqsauce.com, flbbqsauce.com. And tonight we're going to have a great show for you because we're going to talk XFL. We're going to give you my thoughts and prediction on the upcoming D.C. Defenders versus the Orlando Guardians game. I'll also give you some insight on the XFL. And then also on top of that, we're going to debut a brand new song, The Masters, written by Sam Scola. And then we're going to also discuss The Masters as well, right after that song. So we're going to have a great show for you tonight. And definitely, you're in for a real treat and a real highlight tonight. Let me go ahead and make sure that we do that for you big time. Have you guys listen in and have a great time we also got to talk definitely major league baseball and some things that are going on in major league 
So what do you think about that, Aaron? Yeah, so we may have lost Aaron. But yeah. No, I am I am back. Uh, not okay. sure what's happening here, but the, the technical aspect of things tonight is not going in our favor. Uh, but you know, we'll, we'll play along with it here, no problem at all. We're here to entertain people. Sometimes this stuff happens with uh, with a live feed or a live broadcast like we're doing here tonight. But uh, to answer your question, there, Alan, um, I'm excited. You know, this is my favorite time of the year, especially when the season gets kicked off. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, there's a lot of stuff to talk about baseball-wise. The new rules are obviously in place. We just went through the entire spring season kind of watching as these things, uh, you know, began to, you know, began to unfold. And, and um, you know, I think it's going to be a, a fun year. It'll be interesting to see how these things, you know, play into uh, an actual real game, a game that matters, a game that, you know, the, that you can have an impact on, you know, whether you make a close season or not. So um, I think that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. And, you know, as we said last week, you know, we've got a lot of what's going on in the sports world this, uh, this next couple of weeks. we got, you know, obviously baseball just started. Uh, we've got uh, the Final Four. Um, we've got the Masters here just a couple of weeks off. And then, of course, we're a month or so away from the NFL draft. So we're going to have so much content to get to here that we probably can't cram it into one show. So, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm definitely excited about it. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we can um, – you know, keep our heads straight on. Because again, it's a lot of fun to talk about. Baseball obviously is is you know a six month out of the year sport. That's just the regular season. You have spring training, which is about a month or so. Postseason is uh, roughly a month or so as well. So eight months out of the year, you got baseball going on. Uh, four months out of the year, it's basically you know the trades and that kind of stuff. So you know, last season it seems like it ended just yesterday. It's hard to believe it's been four months or so since. The Astros uh, won the World Series, and tonight what we're going to do is actually go through division by division, who we think is going to win uh, here this evening, uh, who we think is going to win each division. We'll have our predictions for, you know, awards and, you know, um, who we think is going to win the World Series, quite honestly. So, uh, But while we're talking about that, uh, our good buddy Lou is uh, is joining us here tonight. Lou, hopefully you can hear me pretty well. How are you tonight? Yeah, I can hear you. I can hear you. Good, good. Okay, how how are the Yankees going to do this year, Luke? I think we have our uh, players in place. I think we have a, a good season, especially after yesterday's game. I mean, that was not, you know, that was that was some game we had for the opener. And just picked up where he left off. He had a home run to start, so uh, I think we're going to be in good shape here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I you're right about that. Season out of the Yankees. Yeah. Go ahead, Lou. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, you know, had a good had a good opening, so you know, if we can keep that up, I think we'll have a good season, especially after uh, Judge and we had, you know, um, you know, pretty pretty good game. I mean, I know it's early, but you know, it can be a good sign. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, Judge got off to the first home run of the year. That definitely makes a big difference. And that is going to be a great thing for him because, you know, it's going to be hard for him to go ahead and repeat what he did. But to get off to a great start in any time here in Major League Baseball, that's a great blessing for you because I think getting that first home run. You can't have, you know, you can't expect, you know, to follow up the season like you did – 
you know, you did last year. Last year was, you know, like a one in a million feet. I own, you know, it's kind of hard to say it's going to duplicate the same success. But, no, you're, I mean, it's you're still being, right. you know, highly respectable, of course. No, exactly. Yeah, definitely you can't expect him to do what he did last year. That's That's kind of unrealistic. But to have a very respectable year isn't unrealistic. And to get the first home run off the back, you know, so you don't have that pressure building up is a big thing. I really do think that. So do you think the Yankees have a very good chance this year? I hope today, I hope this time they do it because we should have won last year. Yeah, so definitely I hope so too. You're right about that. How did you enjoy opening day? I enjoyed opening day with, with the fine performance that we, you know, we had. Now we got to wait and see what the rest of the year does. No, I know what you're saying. It definitely got a long year to go, long season, just day one. And a lot of things going to happen in a Major League Baseball season. So at least that's good. It got off to a, a great start. A lot, lot to talk about on opening day, and we're going to get into a lot more too. So what do you got cooking on your show this weekend? We got a lot, we got a lot of, of course. Uh, basketball galore for the most part. You know, we got – the men's and women's final four. We're a member of the NIT. Uh, we got uh, the Hall of Fame basketball nominations that are out. We got hockey. We got XFL. Um, WrestleMania. We're going to cover that too. Okay, yep. Definitely. Yeah, so he, he actually, that's <laughs> the prize. That's the first of you. I'm sorry, go ahead. Go yeah, ahead. No. Well, um, because I was going to say, Garrett Cole had a great outing, too, 11 strikeouts, so that's made even better. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And well, got yeah, the I mean, rest of me is like once, once a year. So, uh, you know, this, yeah, I thought, because we do have some wrestling fans on the show, so we'll cover that. And uh, we'll also, of course, um, I want to get everybody's uh, pastor, I mean, pastor from Easter Talk. I'm going to do it this week because, I decided next week uh, not to do a show, you know, because Easter and Passover. You know, we're going we're going to go back to that. It, uh, for many years, when Betty was doing the show, she took off Easter, so I think you know it'd be best you know to not do it that week. But I'll be back on the fifteenth, regardless. I'm glad you brought that up, and that is going to be the same here on the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Radio Show for all you great listeners. Is that we will also not do this is going to be our year in a row i guess third year not having a yeah. show on good friday so next friday we are going ah, to be off right. in honor of of good friday so we well i'm glad you brought that up so you'll know too lou but yes we will not have a show next friday just like we haven't i mean the last i just thought it was kind year. of kind of last weird to do it on the day, before, the day before easter i'm like hmm. i'm like hmm, should i do it or should i not do it you know i've always i've always been debating that Yes, you know, so you're right about that. I figure you know, everybody's going to be either going to their destinations or maybe they'll have that at their house and they'll be the destination for people coming. So and I don't want to take anything away from that. So, you know. Yeah, so that's that's definitely what we're going to do here too is not have a show next Friday. Glad you brought that up. So people, uh, fans. Well, I said I'm be... not leaving the air. Yeah, we aren't either. <laughs> we just, uh, we've Although been doing you don't think I wish I would be gone, but. Yeah. Exactly. Although I think I wish I was gone, but no. 
No, no, that's that's uh, exactly for you. I mean, not, not for us. We love the show. We love what we're doing here at the Allen Air. It's supposed to be a great air show. We love it a thousand percent. Yeah, it sounds like you but had a great show. In... Yeah, we should. If I can get the wrestling fans in, it'll be even better. Absolutely. And I'm proud of you because yeah. you actually referred it to the XFL instead of the other league. <laughs> I could, but I won't. Yeah, so it's grown on you, the XFL. We're going to talk more about the XFL a bit later in the show. It's carried away. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's grown on me, but, you know, I'll get, I'll get there with greatest deal. Hey, better late than never. So glad that you referred to the XFL, Danny Garcia, Dwayne Johnson, and Jerry Cardinal. Those are the three owners. And we'll talk more about the XFL a bit later. But make sure you support yeah. Lou on the Enhanced Sports Show between 4 and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Zone Saturday. Phone number is 512-543-4662. Again, it's 512-543-4662. Make sure you support our great friend Lou. Call in tomorrow between 4 and 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Zone. All right, Alex, uh, thanks. Hopefully you guys get a chance to call in via time. All right. Definitely we'll do our right. best to give you a call in tomorrow. Between four and six. Four and six. You got it. So That's definitely Eastern we time, appreciate people. it. Keep that in mind. Eastern time. Eastern Standard Time Zone. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we appreciate you, Lou. You're the best, man. You really are. All right, that was a great buddy, Lou. Always glad to hear from him. All right. Yeah, definitely glad to hear from Lou here tonight. Um, still having some of those audio issues here on my end, so hopefully everyone is able to hear me. Alan, I'm hoping you can hear me pretty well here tonight. I have uh, made multiple attempts to uh, try to figure out what is happening, but um, I guess we'll just go on with the show here tonight. Sometimes, again, that kind of stuff happens, so... Let's dig right in here um, this evening. I think it's uh, fair to say that uh, most of us are excited. It sounded like Lou was fairly happy with the season. He didn't sound like he was overly confident in the Yankees, though. I don't think he was very enthusiastic there. Um, <laughs> based on his uh, on his uh, sound and his voice there, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. He didn't sound too confident in the Yankees, but I actually – I am very confident Yankees. I love what I saw. The, I know it's game one, of course. It's a long season. But I do think this is the year that the Yankees are going to kind of get things right and in the win column and kind of get off to a very good start. They have a brand-new shortstop taking over. This is going to be the coming of Jerry Jeter. Now, that's big shoes to fill. But even if he comes up and he does a great job, that's a win. And that's Anthony Volpe. So um, congratulations for him winning the starting job as a shortstop, 21 years old. That's why the comparisons are there with Derek Jeter because he's a 21-year-old rookie. And I think that's a lot to put on someone to say you got to be the next Derek Jeter. I won't go that far. Those are some big shoes to fill. I think he just needs to just kind of put that aside and just play his game, stay within himself. Don't try to do too much. Definitely do that. I also do like the fact that, I was mentioning, Aaron Judge got the first home run off the back, off the bat, so he doesn't have to have that pressure of like, hey, when are you going to hit a home run in New York? You know what I mean? He doesn't have to deal with that. And I love the fact that Gary, Garrett Cole got off to a great start too. 
that's really great signs for the Yankees. They won the first game. I just have a good feeling about the Yankees this year. I really do. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it's very important. Obviously, this is New York. This is the biggest market in sports. Um, you know, in the shortstop situation, obviously, that was a big thing that everybody was talking about coming into the year um, was, was, you know, how is uh, Anthony? I think it's I think it's actually pronounced Volpe. I think it's how you pronounce Volpe. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Both I ways, so. That is correct. Yeah, that is correct. I've heard it both ways, so Volpe. I wasn't 100 certain myself. So, yeah, um, but I, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's unfair to put somebody in there with that kind of an expectation. I mean, nobody, no one's ever going to be another Derek Jeter. You might have another great player who has his own characteristics and his own, um, you know, personality and all that kind of stuff. But to, to put uh, that kind of expectation. Think about all the things Derek Jeter did in his career. He's the only Yankee to ever, in a Yankee uniform, his entire career has 3,000 hits. A lot, of, a lot of things that go along with that, all the um, you know, all-star appearances, the postseason appearances, all the World Series appearances and wins. So I think it's a little unfair to 21 years of age make that comparison and, and have that expectation on a kid who's that young. The Yankees really at this point, and I think this is the thing that has really been there undoing in the postseason really the last several years. Uh, and of course, they haven't won a World Series now since 2009. It's, they are not simple. They try, it seems like because they have the big money and they're the big market that they overdo a lot of things. And I think this kind of goes back to why 2002, 2003, they had some really good teams, but they were overstacked with you know big egos and things like that. I think they need to be more simple that's going to be the approach the Yankees need to take in the future, in my opinion. It is great for them to have uh, Aaron Judge. I, I think this guy's going to hit 50-plus uh, home runs this year. Wouldn't shock me to see him have another big season. I don't think he's going to hit 62 or more just because that only happens, you know, once. We've seen it happen twice to only two guys in the history of the game. So I don't think that's going to be a, a thing that he does this year. Um, then you mentioned there, too, Garrett Cole getting off to a really good start there as they won 5 nothing yesterday against the Giants. That's a big part of this team. The Yankees will go directionally the direction that Garrett Cole goes. If he struggles, they're going to have issues. If he pitches really well, pitches like the ace that he is, they're going to be a really, really tough team to have some really good teams in it. I mean, let's face it, you know, I don't – and we'll go through our predictions here in a moment. I, I, I think that the teams that are going to be the biggest – challenges to the Yankees this year. Obviously, Tampa's always got a way to figure things out. You've got, uh, obviously, the, the, the Blue Jays, uh, who have been really good the last several years. Their offense is insane, and their pitching has gotten a lot better. And then Baltimore is kind of that uh, coming out of, the, out of the, you know, the weeds kind of a team at this point, and they're going to be really good, too. They've got a lot of talent there uh, coming out in Baltimore. So, um, but I, I think it is important to get the season off to a, a, a winning start. In the grand scheme of things, game number one of the season doesn't mean anything um, when it comes down to the end. You've got to play the other 161 games the rest of the year. You've got to be confident in that. You're going to lose games throughout the season. The best teams still lose 60-plus times a year. So you just got to have to kind of play it. And really, baseball is a – I've always said this. It's a day-by-day game, and it is not like the NFL where – a two- or three-game losing streak can knock you out of the playoffs. A two- or three-game losing streak can happen multiple times throughout a major league season. It is a, uh, it is a uh, marathon, not a sprint. And that's the great thing about baseball is uh, 
you know, you just don't know how a team's going to grow or how they're going to mature together chemistry-wise throughout a season. We've seen some strange things that have happened the last several years, and I wouldn't be shocked to see that kind of thing happen again. So, Alan, let's go through uh, here tonight. Our picks will start off in the AL East. I'll let you go through and pick your um, your your teams basically from one to five. Who, who do you have winning the AL East this year? I have the Yankees actually coming out strong and, and having a very good year and winning the AL East. I feel good about the Yankees. And one thing I did want to say about the Yankees, a little behind the peak kind of sneak tip I can give you guys who are big Yankee fans that happened. Johnny Damon, I don't know if he had one too many bourbons, but he, he let it slip a little bit when he had his um when he was at the bourbon and baseball event, he basically admitted not basically, he admitted that the reason why Derek Jeter was batting leadoff that year that the Yankees did so well was because when he was batting second, he hit too many double plays. He bounced into too many double plays, so they moved him to first. And I was like, man, that's if Derek heard you say that, he'd be pissed, you know, type of a loyal type of guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got it on camera. I got it on camera, but I'm like, if Derek heard you say that, he would be upset. I was thinking about when they got the Q&A, about asking a follow-up, like, is that is that accurate, that the reason why he bat, you know, I was thinking about asking a follow-up, but I was like, man, I didn't want to do that because I knew that he probably was going to confirm it, and that was going to even be like a double punch in the gut for Derek. But, yeah, what are your thoughts about that, about him saying that? Well, I mean, uh, whether it's true or not, you know, obviously that's, you know, we have to, we have to talk to Joe Girardi about that one. He was the manager at the time um, to confirm that. You know, I, I think sometimes – moving a guy one spot in the lineup up or down is a huge difference maker. So it very well could have been um, what positively played a part for them. That was in, I think, 2009, if I remember correctly. So, um, but, uh, you know, sometimes guys let that kind of slip. And, you know, it's been 15 years, obviously, uh, almost since all that happened. So um, interesting tidbit, kind of, kind of like being the, the fly on the wall in that situation. Yeah, it was. It was, it was like, wow, you – during the Q&A, like, it wasn't a question I asked that he just, you know, let a little bit slip a little bit. But I believe it because Damon that year was hot, and I could see where Derek could hit into a lot of double plays. Not trying to take a knock on him, but he does tend to hit some ground balls. And, you know, he, he, if, he, if you're inside-out swing and you don't connect right, that's what you're going to get is a ground ball. And I could see that. So – I would have to say that I think Johnny Johnny let out a little too much, and I I would believe him in that regard. Understand that for sure. So yeah, I, I've got the Yankees winning the East as well. I think it's going to be a very tough battle in that division. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. I have them winning. I, I have them winning ninety five plus games this year. I'll go through the rest of the division. I think Toronto has certainly got a good team. Team that could make a run to the World Series this year. They they, they maybe one one or two pieces in additional, and it doesn't have to be big pieces. I'm talking about the bullpen and maybe um, a bat here or there. And again, not a big piece. They could be a, a really tough team. They could be a team that challenges uh, the Yankees and really whoever they might face in the playoffs. So I got the Blue Jays finishing second. Tampa Bay, they always seem to find a way to get it done. I think they're going to battle with Baltimore uh, throughout the season for that third spot, but I've got Tampa Bay finishing in third. Baltimore, 
a year from now, I think we're going to be talking higher about Baltimore, but they're going to be the team that finishes in fourth place, and I think they'll be over 500. I think they're going to win about 85 games this year. And it's weird to say this because they've really kind of done a revamping of their organization really from top to bottom, but I think the Boston Red Sox, oddly enough, are going to finish in dead last in the AL East. It's really surprising to me to say that, but that's what I think is going to happen this year. Yeah, I would I would agree with most of that. The only person I would think would fall into second would be the Rays. I think the Rays always have a very competitive team. It's really unfortunate that the situation with the stadium is still something that they're going back and forth with. I'm still working on getting some big interviews with you guys, so we would talk more about that, about the Rays and their potential of moving. But, yeah, I got the Rays finishing second in that division. Yep. Gotcha there. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good pick there. I, I think it could be interchangeable, Rays and Blue Jays, uh, second place. I mean, look, I think whoever finishes in second in the, in the AL East probably is going to win about 90 to 92 games, I, I would say, um, somewhere in that vicinity. I think that would probably be about where they're going to, you know, where they're going to finish. And again, you know, one or two games is probably going to separate that second and third place team from each other. So it's it's very possible we could see a battle all the way to the very last couple days of the season. So uh, moving right along here, uh, let's go to the AL Central. It's kind of a wide open division. I don't think it's going to take more than about 90 to 92 games to be the team that wins it. I'm going to go with the experience in that division this year, though. I think with um, with the Cleveland Guardians, they were in the playoffs last year. Obviously, they've got uh, Terry Francona. He's a very long, experienced manager in the big leagues. They seem to have all the pieces to kind of keep a team very competitive for a while. So I've got the Guardians winning the AL Central. Where do you stand there? In the Central, I have – the Guardians would be a very, very good choice. But I do think for some reason in the Central – let me just double-check this here. No, I, I do have that, too. I have the Guardians in that division winning. I do believe the White Sox are going to have a very good year, too. But I, I agree with you on that. I think the, the Guardians are going to win the Central. Yeah, and, and uh, this is the way I look at uh, baseball. I think it's, it's easy to do this in a sense. You have three buckets you can put a team into. You have a, a bucket of they're an absolute contender. You have a bucket on the other end, which they're not going to make the playoffs at all. They're a rebuilding team. They're they're nowhere near the playoffs. They're not going to get there at all. And then you have that middle bucket, which is, you know, they're kind of half here, half there. So I look at the AL Central. I think the White Sox have a, a good team. I think that obviously they had some distractions last year with um, Tony La Russa at the managerial spot. They, they were disappointing, to be honest, with these last few years, um, given that they brought him in to be the guy who's going to get them to the promised land, and it didn't work out. Um, Minnesota is kind of that team that I would say kind of teeters on. They could surprise us and win the division. They could surprise us and, you know, lose 90-plus games, which would probably cost Rocco Baldelli his job as the manager there. They're kind of in that probably leaning more towards competitive side, but they're kind of in that middle bucket, if you will. Detroit, and I hate to say this because my good buddy uh, Paul Humphreys is probably listening to us tonight. He's a huge Tigers fan. Um, I, I see them being a year or two away from being a contender. I think they've got some good pieces in place. 
they're starting to develop players in their farm system, they're just a little too far off for me. So I'd put them in that, you know, lower bucket at this point. Kansas City is in the same spot. I know they made a managerial change. Got a lot of young talent in the minor leagues. It's going to really be good, I think, in the next several years, but they're still a little ways off. So, um, but yeah, I definitely agree with you. We have the Guardians both winning the um, the AL Central this year. And moving out west, this was a tough one for me because I feel like, obviously, Houston, they've been so dominant for the last several years. Seattle's obviously crept their way up, and that's really the, the separation there because those two teams at the top. I just feel like Houston, coming off winning the World Series, have been there two years in a row now, three of the last four years overall. I feel like they're still going to be a 95-plus win team. This might be the last year of that because they've lost so many big pieces, but I feel like the Astros are going to win the AL West once again. No, I agree with you on that. I, I definitely think – I'm picking the Astros until somebody knocks them off. I just think that they just um, – they've shown that, you know what, yes, they did steal an advantage with the trash cans, and that was really unfortunate, but I definitely do think they're the team to beat in the AL West. They're actually the team to beat. I say, if you let them get hot, they're going to be the team that you're going to have to really watch out for because the Astros can play. I mean, yes, it was shady what they did. Definitely they deserve all the criticism that comes along with it. But I would say aside from that, they are actually the, you know, it is what it is. Those guys are the best in the AL East. I mean, AL division i would say i just think that what dusty baker is doing they got some experience they bring in pieces they're a winning machine the astros are like a a well-oiled machine till somebody else knocks them off to your point i agree with you i I have the astros winning the west too yeah i will say this about the astros at some point they are going to fall off and i i'm going to make a prediction right now they're going to fall off very similarly to the way that the Arizona Diamondbacks did 20 or so years ago. You know, Arizona won the World Series in 01, and it was like the next year they were not very good. And then, of course, they started trading some of their bigger pieces away. They got rid of Kirk Schilling, got rid of Randy Johnson. So I see that kind of similar thing happening there. I think that it's, uh, I think that the window, they've got some good talent that's going to be there for a while, but I think the window with this current group is probably this year and next year at the, at the most. And then you'll probably see them drop off Seattle. I think Seattle's going to be in the playoffs again. I think they have a really good team. Um, Texas is getting better. Obviously, they went out and got Jacob DeGrom in the offseason. They brought in Bruce Bochy, a uh, great manager. Obviously, he's won three World Series with the Giants. So they brought him in. I think they're going to be a better team. I have them finishing in third. Angels are such a disappointing team. You have two of the best players in baseball on that roster, and they cannot seem to figure it out. Um, I think it's going to be another tough year for the Angels. I think they're going to probably lose in the, in the ballpark of 85 to 90 games again. Um, it's just going to be a rough year. And Oakland is in the same boat. Oakland, the A's, the A's are kind of like the uh, the Rays in a lot of ways, where they are always able to find a way to get good. Problem with them is you go back a year ago, they traded away Matt Chapman, they traded away Matt Olson. Um, they've really gone to, to rebuild overall that ball club basically from the ground up. And I think it's going to be another year or two at least before they're really competitive again. So, so that's our, uh, our AL predictions this year. I think that was a pretty good, uh, pretty good run through of the AL um, at this point. And I think pretty dead on. I think both of us are, are pretty much in agreement for the most part on all the divisions 
Um, looking at the uh, the National League now, of course, a lot of stuff to talk about there. I think there's some very, very good competition basically throughout the entire National League. Uh, we'll start off in the East. Alan, tell me who you have in the National League East this year. I have. You're going to like this to your delight. I have <laughs> <laughs> the Braves beating out the Mets and the Nationals. I just feel as if when it comes – Push comes down to sub, and, the sh- and it gets down to the later part of the season. That's going to separate the pack. I think the Mets are a team finds a way to kind of self-implode, self-implode and kind of hurt themselves down the stretch. They have not shown to me as of recent they can hold it together and compete with a team like the Braves as the season and the year goes on, especially during – past the all-star break with a real grind of the summer starts feeling on your body. The Braves have shown that they could still weather the storm. The Mets have not, at least not this 20, you know, new millennium type Mets. So I have the Braves winning the division too. Yeah, I've got the Braves uh, winning a hundred plus ball games this year. They may be the only club that does that. Um, I think they have so much depth. Um, and I know that, some of our listeners out there are going to say, well, you're a Braves fan, you're biased, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, I am, but I'm looking at this from a – I have information to back this up kind of perspective. You have you know, you know, have probably eight starting pitchers on this team or, or who guys who can play or pitch at the big league level as a starter. So that's something that most teams don't have. Most teams go into the season with four, and they're looking for a fifth guy, and somebody's been with three and looking for two guys, uh, a four and a five. So Atlanta has almost a second starting rotation – hanging out in their minor league system at this point, pitching at AAA. And I think that's a great thing to have because it does two things. Late in the season, uh, you can call a guy up and give some of your other guys a break. If you have an injury happen, you've got a guy you can call up right away. Their AAA team is only about 45 minutes or so from Atlanta, so that guy can be there that same day. And the fact of the matter is some of those guys would probably have made other teams that had openings. Uh, you think about Mike Soroka, obviously he's coming back from multiple injuries he's had over the last few years. He hasn't started in almost three years at the big league level. Um, you've got uh, these two young kids that are starting here uh, this coming week against the Cardinals, uh, Dylan Dodd, left-hander, and Jared Schuster. Those guys would have made a roster anywhere else, um, and they made it in Atlanta with a really solid rotation there already. So I feel like you're you're 100% on the Mets. I think they're going to be a, a really good team. I don't think they're going to win 100 games like they did last year again, 101 to be exact. Um, my concern with the Mets is you're 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 trying to do what the Diamondbacks did 20 years ago with with Johnson and Schilling. You've got two guys that are probably first out Hall of Famers in uh, in Justin Verlander, Hall of Famer in my book, uh, and then uh, Max Scherzer. Problem is both of those guys are, are in the late 30s, almost 40s area, and they're really good when they're on, but they're having injury issues. My concern is what happens in the meantime. The Mets don't have the depth that the Braves and some of the other clubs do out there. And let's keep in mind, too, they've lost Edwin Diaz, their all-star closer, for the season. He got injured in the World Baseball Classic celebrating, of all things. I think that hurts them a lot. Um, the Phillies, I think they're going to be really good this year, but, look, they, they lost three costumes their first baseman for the season. Uh, he tore, um, I believe it was his knee, in a spring training game. That's going to hurt them a lot. That's a big bat of production, 30-plus home runs right there. They're going to miss. Bryce Harper is out until probably around the All-Star game. So that puts an extra burden on your starting pitching. If Atlanta gets off to a really hot start, 
and, you know, through maybe mid-June or so, they're well ahead, it's going to be hard for anybody to catch up with them, especially if you're a team like Philadelphia, possibly in third place at that point. Um, I expect the Marlins to be better. Um, they'll be contending, so to speak. But it's going to be hard to get through three teams that are a lot better than you at the top. And then the Nationals, they might lose 100 ball games this year. They're, they're obviously completely in rebuild mode. They traded one Soto last year. Um, their World Series run was four years ago. Harper's gone for uh, now. You've lost Trey Turner. You lost uh, Scherzer. All these other guys are, are gone. So it's going to be a little while before we see Washington contending again. Yeah, exactly. You just it's just too many pieces, and you have to. I understand you want to get rid of one of your great players, but you let kind of a lot of them go. And like you mentioned, in rebuilding year, I don't see them competing with the Braves or the Mets long term. Yeah, they might win a game here and there against them, but as you mentioned earlier, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I don't see the Nationals making it that long in this marathon. Yeah, I agree with you 100% there. So NL Central is going to be kind of an interesting one because I think there's probably more teams that are not good there than there are contending teams. We talked about the the bucket a little bit ago. Um, I think it's a two-horse race in the Central. I think the Cardinals and the Brewers are going to basically battle for the uh, NL Central in 2023. 92 wins is what I'm predicting will win the NL Central. I have the Cardinals winning the NL Central. Where are you on that? Yeah, the AL Central. I actually have the Pirates winning. I like uh, <laughs> I like the Pirates. I just think they look really good. I love the talent, the the makeshift of the team, and I just think the Pirates are going to be the biggest surprise this year. I got the Pirates winning. That is a bold prediction right there because I had the Pirates finishing in last place, so I <laughs> um, <laughs> feel like they're still – I feel like they're still a year or so away um, in contending. Um, I, I know they have a lot of good talent. They, they, they snagged their current general manager from the Rays organization. That's kind of the model team out there. Um, the last uh, 10 or 12 years. Um, that's a good pick, though. I, I, I'd like to see that happen. That was one that kind of surprised me there. So um, I have Milwaukee finishing in second. I think they have a good team, a good nucleus of players. Um, they've been able to stay competitive the last few years, mainly because they're in a fairly weak division. I would make the argument that the NL Central is one of the weaker divisions in baseball. Um, Cubs. Cubs, we don't really know what to expect. I think they could go either or. I think they'll be a little right around a 500 team, maybe 80, 81 wins, somewhere in there. They brought in a lot of pieces over the offseason. The problem is, is I don't think they have enough pitching to be able to sustain a run through the postseason. Cincinnati should be a little bit better, but I still think they're going to be um, down near the bottom. And, of course, uh, opposite of Allen here tonight, who surprised me with picking the Pittsburgh Pirates. I had the Pirates finishing in, uh, in last place there in the NL Central. <laughs> yeah, I just I just love the way that he got off the year started right, and I just look at it as a sign. I think the Pirates are going to be the biggest shock. There's going to be some upsets in the baseball, some surprises, kind of like just like we see in in basketball, in college basketball, the, the race to the Final Four. There's going to be some surprises. I look at the Pirates as a sign. I feel the Pirates are going to have a blowout year this year, so. I could be wrong, but I, I like what I'm seeing with the Pirates. 
Moving over to the NL West, this is a fairly competitive division. you got at least three teams that are really good there. I'm going to pull a surprise one here. Um, the, the Dodgers have obviously dominated this division for the last oh, 10, 12 years. The Giants won 107 games uh, back in 2021. Dodgers won 106, but they play each other in the playoffs. Uh, Dodgers ended up winning, of course, and moving on. I have the Padres, believe it or not, winning this division this year. I feel like the Dodgers have kind of fallen a little bit. They're still going to be a good team, don't get me wrong. But I, I have the, the Padres with all that talent San Diego has now. Juan Soto and the whole lineup and then their pitching. Their pitching is immense there out in, in San Diego. So I have the Padres winning 95-plus games. They're going to edge up the Dodgers by probably one or two games. It'll be those head-to-head matchups that are going to be so important. Then I have the Giants. Still a really good team, winning 90-plus games. They're going to finish in third. Arizona and the Colorado Rockies will finish fourth and fifth, respectively. So tell me who you have, Alan, out west in the National League. I have the Dodgers. I always like the Dodgers. They always seem to get talent in. I love what Michael, you know, what Magic Johnson does. You know, he always is aggressive and tries to get some talent in there. The Dodgers are, as you mentioned, a team that – usually d- dominates that division until somebody really knocks off the Dodgers. I'm picking the Dodgers. Certainly a solid pick. No question about it. Uh, and again, that could go either way. I mean, it, it two really good teams out West and, and they take the giants and put them in there too. That could be a third one. So it's a really, uh, really good mix there. So, so those are our picks there for the divisions. Obviously, um, a lot can happen during the course of the season. Injuries play a role. Trades. Guys have an off seasons. Um, you know, um, that can ultimately alter things as well. But I came up with some, something here that I thought was kind of interesting. I, I, I um, for years and years and years, well prior to MLB Network being uh, an entity, uh, I watched ESPN's Baseball Tonight. And one of my favorite uh, hosts on that show is Tim Kirchin. Every year at the beginning of the season, he will put out some storylines of things that he thinks is going to happen during the course of the year. And, you know, some of it's just for reaction. Some of it's just, you know, hey, let's just see what happens kind of a thing. But a lot of it is, you know, things that are going to occur to some degree. So I'm going to see how many of these I get right at the end of the year. So here is the things that I'm making predictions on, not about teams specifically, but just about things that will happen in Major League Baseball. So I'm going to start off with the Colorado Rockies. Bud Black is their manager. Been there for about four seasons now. I think he'll be the first National League manager to get fired this year. I think the Rockies will move in a different direction. Not too far behind him, though, is David Bell, manager of the Cincinnati Reds. He's been there since 2019. Reds haven't really gotten any better. They were a good team in 2019 and 2020, but they haven't put the playoffs since. So I think he'll be the, the second manager to go in the National League. And then the only guy I see on the hot seat that's going to actually get American League, and you'll like this one, Alan, is going to be Boston's Alex Cora. I think the Red Sox are going to be in for a really rough season. And Boston has been good at moving on from managers pretty quickly when uh, when a season doesn't go so well. So that's a prediction there. We talked a little bit about this earlier. Aaron Judge gets a home run in his uh, first game of the season. 62, of course, he hit last year, a new record for the Yankees. I do believe he'll hit 50-plus home runs this year. The Yankees will also have three players 
Judge, Stanton, and Anthony Rizzo, who each hit 35 or more home runs during the course of this season. This is another very bold prediction. I think both the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland Athletics will announce plans this year for a new stadium. Now, the Rays will decide to move over across the bay to the Tampa side, while the Oakland Athletics will follow their old uh, in-town partner, the Raiders. They're going to go to Vegas. They're going to make that announcement, I believe, later on this season. There will be five no-hitters pitched in 2023, one of which will be a perfect game. Atlanta Braves starter Spencer Strider, who finished uh, second in the Rookie of the Year this past year in the National League. He's going to strike out 300-plus batters. And then my last big prediction for a storyline here in 2023, the Los Angeles Angels of of Anaheim, they're going to attempt to re-sign Shohei Otani but ultimately he'll turn down a half-billion-dollar contract and test free agency this winter. By the way, spoiler alert, I believe we'll go to the Dodgers next offseason. So that's my storylines of things that I believe will happen here in 2023. Yeah, I definitely do think we're going to find out this year the Rays as well as, as you mentioned, the A's will be moving. Speaking of the Rays, I am trying to get, I won't say who, I'm trying to get an interview with someone who does have some inside information about the move for the Rays. I want them to kind of update us on that. I I am curious to see if they're going to make that move and have the Rays move to Ybor City and see if that helps. I think it will help, but it's still a risk. Let me ask you that, Aaron. If the Rays were to move to Ybor City, do you think it would help the attendance? I'm not talking about just the first year, you know, kind of like you get a new toy. Let's say in the next five to seven years, do you think it'll help the raise attendance? Yeah, to answer your question, Alan, on that, I definitely think it'll help. Um, being uh, in the Tampa Bay market, you know, obviously, um, you know, people don't like to drive across those bridges to go over to St. Pete. It's just a long drive, especially during the work week. Tampa Bay area has become a lot more congested over the last several years. Um, you live in the same area as well, so I know you are fairly familiar with how that all works. And so I think that the attendance will greatly increase, and I think one of the things that actually proves that or at least gives a good indication of that, you look where they're trying to build this in Tampa. It's right around, literally around the corner from where – the Tampa Bay Lightning play, and that is a a great area. It really is. There's a lot of stuff to do there. That's one of the things that's going to help out as well. You look at where Tropicana Field is located. It's an old old park. I mean, it was built back in the 80s, so it's it's seen its better days. In fact, honestly, I wouldn't say there was really that many great days there in the first place, but that's a whole other, you know, a whole other conversation for a whole other time. Um, There's not a whole lot to do around the ballpark. You think about a lot of these newer parks. San Diego, I think, was really the first one to do this. But you go, you go to somebody, a place like Fenway Park in Boston. I've been there before. Uh, they get a lot of stuff outside of the ballpark for fans to go to. Uh, breweries and pubs and restaurants and shops. And, you know, there's movie theaters popping up here and there. Same thing happens in Chicago with Wrigley Field. So I think if you look at the historical aspect of those parks I just mentioned and that area that they're looking at building in, Downtown Tampa, just basically to the east of it there, you cannot go wrong. I think that is the perfect place for a ballpark to go. Um, I hope it goes there because I think I personally, and I live in Lakeland, so I'm about 45 minutes away, I would probably attend more games. Um, 
as opposed to having to drive all the way over the Howard Franklin Bridge, um, waiting some of that traffic just to get in. And, you know, then you have to do the same thing going back the other direction, and it's a slowdown. So I think if they can get it built in Tampa, it's not going to be a big, big park. It's not going to have 50,000 people. And most of the newer ballparks don't. Let's be honest. Most of the newer ballparks are in the mid-30s, maybe 41, 42,000. Atlanta, and I know I always use Atlanta as an example, but they did a great job with their new park um, five or six years ago. I think it was 2017 when it opened there. Uh, Fun Trust, now Truist Park. They built a neighborhood basically around it for people to do before, during, and after the game. Sometimes people don't want to go to the game. They just want to hang out in the area and kind of have that experience. So I think Tampa is looking to do something very similar. They'll do it in their own taste. It'll be built to the uh, architecture and the nuances of the Tampa Bay area. That's a great area. I know, Alan, you've been down there before. I've been down there many, many times. Uh, you got the aquarium right there. You got all the, the cruise ships that are coming in. There's so much stuff to do, and there's so much more they can build around there to really build that area up. So I'm looking forward to hopefully that being the destination for the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm actually, that's a great point. I'm on, actually on the fence of it, and let me tell you why. I do think they will probably get more fans there. It definitely is a great thing to have it by Ebor because of the fact of the history in Ebor. Logistically, it'll be easier for a lot of people in certain regards. The only downside I have with it is traffic. I definitely do think they have to figure out how they're going to logistically have an influx of 30,000, 40,000 people come into the Ybor City area, which is already kind of tough with parking. There are some garages, and there are some places where you could park on the street that are paid, of course. I'm curious to see how that dynamic would change with a stadium there. So I, that's the part that kind of concerns me is like, okay, it's, it's already like crowded, especially like when you go there on a Friday or Saturday night. How is this going to look during the week when you have – a big game. So that's the concern I have for, for the traffic part. Logistically, I do think it'll be more fans will come to the stadium though. And I do think though, you take, if you are willing to go ahead and get a race stadium, you also have to take a grain of salt. Unfortunately, no matter how good the baseball team is, whether you're the Rays, Florida is not a real big pro baseball team it is more collegiate they love their college sports out here football sports i think everything else is vying for second third fourth and fifth and down the line even if you have a very good team i just feel as if people kind of overlook it because they pay more attention to collegiate sports have to have that grain of salt i do think it'll increase attendance i don't know if it's going to be whirlwind attendance though going forward what are your thoughts on that well, and I've talked to a lot of people about this over the years. This isn't something that just started last week. You know, they've been looking for a new ballpark for basically 15 years. Um, it was yeah. actually actually right at 15 years. It was right after they had made the announcement they were going to change their name from the Devil Rays to the Rays. This was in, like, November of 2007, I want to say. Um, they actually put a proposal out there for a new ballpark. Now, it would have been built in St. Petersburg, so it would have been a little bit different in that uh, it would have been on the other side of the bay. I think the, the, the big thing, and there's a lot of factors, there's a lot of moving parts here. You made a very good point. This is really the same reason why Miami, unfortunately, is not a very, um, I don't want to say good market for baseball, but why you don't see the attendance up there. 
you built them a brand new ballpark 12 years ago or 10 years ago. Um, and it's an immaculate park. I've been down there a couple of times. It's a really great stadium, but Florida is a transplant state, right? You're from New York, Alan. You're a Yankees fan, even though you're from New York, uh, or even though you're living in Florida now, you're of course a Yankees fan. There's a lot of other Yankees fans down here. You and I know a lot of good people that we used to work with that are big Yankees fans that are down here in Florida. So because Florida is a place where people come to get away from the cold weather, you're kind of set in your ways when you come here. You move here from California, you're a Giants, a Dodgers, or Padres, or an Angels fan, or whoever it is that's out there. You come here from the Midwest, you're a Royals or a Cardinals fan, or up in, in uh, the Chicago area, you're a fan of you know, the Cubs, the White Sox, uh, the Brewers, the Tigers, whomever it may be. So the, the point I'm trying to make here is the reason why I think sometimes attendance is a little bit off or maybe not with, with the current older generations, you and I and above, is because a lot of those people, like you and me, are already set in who we root, who we root for. I was a Braves fan well before the Braves area changed anytime soon, and I'm sure you'd say the same thing about being a Yankee. You're not going to change your allegiance. You're not going to change your pinstripes. Anything you know. <laughs> um, I think really what has to happen, and I think that it, this is where marketing analytics goes a long, long ways. Tampa Bay, seems like Miami, they need to look at the younger generation coming up our kids and of course eventually our kids kids and say how can we market ourselves as a baseball organization to these young kids that are coming up and i have no idea what the answer is going to be to that but i do know this that typically not all the time but typically you root for the team that you live around now where that can change and i don't know if your son is a yankees fan or not but a lot of times you're influenced by who your parents root for so that can make a little bit of a difference there too Ultimately, I think what the Rays need to do, wherever they build their ballpark, they need to get one settled, of course, so they don't end up leaving the region altogether. But ultimately, in my opinion, they don't need to build a ballpark that has 50,000 seats. They don't need to build a ballpark that has 40,000 seats. If you go to Tropicana Field tomorrow for a game, you're going to see, and I'm sure you saw a lot more people there yesterday, opening day obviously is a big event. It was a sellout, essentially. But you go to any normal regular season game, even some of the games against some of the bigger clubs, they've closed down essentially the upper deck there at Tropicana Field. Playoffs might be a different story when they have uh, excess seating and they sell out the lower bowl and the you know, outfield seats. They're, they're going to open those other seats up, I'm sure, at that point. But here's the thing. You don't need to build a, a ballpark that has that great of a capacity. I think thirty to 32,000 maybe some areas for standing room only or some areas where they can expand in the future. That's all you need. You're not going to, you're not ever going to attract in Tampa, you know, 45 or 50,000 fans, not for just a regular game. And I'll give you an example. Um, Baseball attendance. It's not that it's gone down necessarily, but a lot of ballparks were built with a lot bigger capacity than people actually showed up. I'll give you the example of Atlanta when they built Turner field back in the nineties it originally held like 49 to 50,000 people. The new ballpark they have now seats about 41 or 42. So you make it to where those seats are, are better. It's a more intimate setting. The, the fans are closer to the field. That's what Tampa needs. They need something that says this is Tampa Bay. This is Tampa Bay baseball. They've built a really good brand in Tampa over the last 15 or so years. So I see the the, the need for it to be on the Tampa side, they are the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, I realize the Bay is the Bay Area that they're referring to, um, but I just feel like a ballpark there, you're absolutely right. The logistics are going to be 
somewhat of a concern. But look, here's, here's the honest truth. I went to a lightning game here back in November. I didn't park in front of the Amelie Arena. I parked down around the corner about maybe half a mile away. You can do that same thing for Rays games if they build a ballpark down there. You can have people park in those same areas. They can park in the parking for the aquarium, and maybe they'll have a garage there. They, they'll find a way to make this work. There's also the, the public transportation there, like the, um, the, the it's kind of like a cable car. That would be another way to get people in and out pretty quickly. Um, you have the, the bay right there. You'd have some of those uh, water uh, taxi ferry things that, that could help out too. So I just think it'd be a very good spot for a ballpark, and uh, hopefully it happens because, again, I don't want to see this team leave this region they're very important here no absolutely i would definitely rather take you know the worst case scenario congestion and traffic for the rays to move from st pete to ybor city there is a lot of history in ybor city and the rays a lot more than people may realize go to the tampa baseball museum at the al lopez house tampa baseball museum al lopez and ybor city it's really not expensive and you will see a lot of history with cigars and baseball here in Ebor. Definitely, I think if you're going to move it, that's the spot to move it to. And you're right. To your point, unless it's the playoffs, which I actually been to a, quite a few playoff games when the race first came out of kind of like they had like their wake-up party and they made it to the World Series, they opened up the upper deck which is the only time they really do that was during that because it was, it was selling out every single day, every single day. And it was really nice for the Rays to kind of have that playoff success. I was actually rooting because they made it that far. My team was out. I was actually rooting for the Rays to win the World Series because it's a team from Tampa. It had been something real special. You had a great team, but it, they fell up a little short. But, yeah, to your point, they opened up the upper deck seating. That's the time when you kind of hope <laughs> – you can have more seats is when people actually come out and support you and they show up strong. And they did during that playoff run. That was amazing to, to watch and see the fans come to support the Rays. So kudos to the Rays. I know the scene is a long time ago, but man, that was really cool. And I well, hope yeah, the I Rays can, do stay. Yeah. I was gonna say, I can say the same thing. I, I, um, I actually have a friend that uh, has worked for the Rays at Tropicana Field since their opening year, 1998. Hard to believe, too, uh, just a side note here, yesterday was the 25th anniversary of their very first game in the regular season. So it's uh, 25 years has gone by lickety-split fast. But I have a friend that um, I won't say what he does there, but he's, like I said, worked for the team since their inception back in 1998 and used to go to games with him quite a bit back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And I can remember going to some games where, I mean, you're talking about playing against the Seattle Mariners in, I want to say, 1999. This is when the Mariners still had A-Rod. They still had Griffey. Um, they still had uh, Edgar Martinez. There's probably some other names I'm not thinking of right now, but five or 6,000 people, maybe eight at the most, in the ballpark. And I'm thinking, what are these people thinking to miss out on some of these future Hall of Famers that are playing for this, playing for this Mariners team as, a, as an opponent? And then I went in 2008 – it was the second game in the uh, ALDS against the White Sox, and you couldn't walk into that place and not bump into somebody. I'm talking about walking in down the concourse where the restrooms and the shops and the um, you know, restaurants and the, the food gathering areas are. 
I mean, you're bumping into people left and right. And so it was amazing to see how it's changed that much. And I do think that will be more of a common thing if and when they get a ballpark in Tampa. I think I think if they get one in St. Pete, I think you'll, you'll still get a good crowd over there, but I still think people are going to use the same excuse. I don't like making that drive across the Bay Bridge, especially people who are on this side of the bridge like you and I are. I just think that's going to be the excuse that's going to happen to the end of time if they end up building on that side of the Bay. I totally agree. I think that's going to be an excuse. To, and moving it from one place in St. Pete to another is a waste of time, waste of money. You're going to hear the same excuse as you mentioned. It's an easy lame duck excuse for people to keep regurgitating. Don't move it from one part of St. Pete to another. And another thing that people are not going to say, but I will say it, I'm going to hate to say it, but you know what? With all due respect, Tampa is nicer than St. Pete. I mean, St. Pete, you cross that bridge. It looks beautiful with the water. It really does. But when you, <laughs> when you pull behind the shade of what St. Pete is really like, I'm sorry, I would move to Tampa any day of the week. <laughs> the and only, I fell for that. Yep. Yeah, the only exception I would make to that, Alan, is this. There, there, and I don't know if this is something that would really occur or not. There was a proposal here I heard about six months ago. There's a little airport basically right in downtown St. Pete. It's privately run, and I think it's funded by the city of St. Pete. There's some, some issues with that because I think the city subsidizes some of the payments there. They basically lose money on this place every year. So – uh, I believe it's Alfred Witted uh, Airfield, I think is the name of it. And it's a pretty small airport. I know that in the past I've heard about people going out there to have lunch and things of that nature. There was a rumor that might be a place where they might build a ballpark because of the backdrop. That would be the only time I'd say maybe that's a better place to build it. But, again, the logistics is still in the same area. And you'd be having to go right through downtown as opposed to where it's at now where you're kind of on the outskirts, a little bit west of, down, uh, west of downtown St. Petersburg. Downtown St. Pete is actually a pretty neat place, but when you get further west, like you're talking, kind of uh, the area it's in, it's just not not the most suitable of areas, I guess you could say. So, no, I'd say if you're gonna move it, go to Tampa, Ebor. Otherwise, I don't see it. Yeah, because people can use that same same excuse. How is it gonna help the attendance? Even if it's in downtown, I just feel as if people are gonna keep hitting you with that same excuse. So, if you're gonna do it. You're going to make that type of investment and that type of move. Do it once. Do it right. Don't shortchange it. Move it to Tampa. It's, and it's, you really then at that point, you change the name. St. Pete Rays or something. Yeah, no, that would, uh, that would probably be the case there. Now, here's the biggest thing. It doesn't matter what side of the bay they build it on at this point. You've got to have the money to do it. That is something that, you know, not, nobody really knows at this point. Um, now, I will say this. I won't reveal my source. Um, because it's a source behind a source, if you will. So <laughs> I'll plead the fifth on that part of things. But I do have um, a source who indicated something to me. I was having this discussion with that individual probably about two months ago. That individual knows someone who has connections within the Tampa community. And obviously, if you're going to build a ballpark, it's not just going to come out of nowhere. People are going to know about things that happen before they occur. And so the individual that I was being made aware of basically was saying that a lot of the pre-work into the uh, Tampa side ballpark, the ballpark that would be there in Ybor City, a lot of that stuff's already being talked about in the inner circles of the people who make those decisions. So I expect by the end of this year, if not a year from now, so we're looking at nine to 12 months from now, we're going to know definitively where the Rays are going to be going. 
I think so too. And I hope I get some inside information and do that interview. Won't reveal who, but I think the Rays are desperate to move and I'm surprised they haven't moved already because I know they've been talking a lot about it for a while. I thought they were going to do it. The talks cooled off. It seemed like they'd gotten hot all over again. So, Well, the one thing they've never had is the money to do it. You know, they, they had that option, uh, I think it was five years ago, where the city of St. Pete gave them three years. I think it was from 2015 to 2018. They gave them three years uh, to have a ballpark designed, funded, built. Not, not have it actually built. They have it at least in the works where they had a proposal and they could actually make the move to allow them to get out of their contract. And then they would have been paying $5 million a year or whatever it was to the city of St. Petersburg. And the, the, the thing that was discouraging is they went through all these plans. They went through all this stuff. They, they, they came to a decision on a designer where it was going to be built. This is the ballpark they were going to build in Ybor City. And they put the proposal out, I want to say, in the summer of 2018. I want to say it was June of that year. That was six months uh, prior to the end of that three-year period that they had. And they put out this proposal, and you can go on YouTube and probably find it on there. They put out this proposal. It was a great thing. I'm, I'm sure they spent a lot of money on having it designed. It was a neat-looking ballpark. It was going to be right there in Ybor City, despite the fact there was a lot of people who were uh, objecting to it, maybe meshing with the – or not meshing, rather, with the, the landscape there. But they had no way to pay for it. And that's like you know, getting, uh, getting serious about building a house but then not having a way to cover you know, the cost to build it. And that's the thing that's frustrating is I think the, the biggest problem that the Rays have, I'm just going to call it like it is, um, I think their ownership wants to cheap out and not, not put enough money into what they should be putting into it to get a ballpark built wherever it's going to go. They've got to commit some funds here as well. You can't just expect the taxpayers to bail you out because here's what the problem is. You ask for a new ballpark, you sign a 30 year lease, you get 10 years into it. And you know what? All those new amenities at your ballpark suddenly are outdated because all these other stadiums are getting newer things coming in. So now you want more money to be able to improve your ballpark. And guess who pays for that? The taxpayers who are not done paying for the ballpark you built in the first place. So there's a lot of issues there. The money part is the big thing. And I hope that the community, um, I hope businesses maybe get an opportunity to, to pitch in and maybe you know put sponsorships out there that'll help build a ballpark. But that's going to be the thing that ultimately decides this is whether or not the money is there or not. Yeah, it all comes down to the money, and I agree with you. You're right. The owners, I mean, I don't know how deep their pockets are. I can't really say on that. But, yeah, it seemed like, okay, this is a very lavish and really nice ballpark, but when it came to paying for it, you had the taxpayers paying a lot of it, and that's why it kind of fizzled out too, you know, one thing, if you want to move and increase attendance and get more money and all that, but it's another thing where you say, okay, I want to do all this, but I want you to pay for it and, or at least pay most of it. So it's an ongoing battle. That person that I'm going to get to talk to about the raise logistically, will have more insight on that as well. We definitely need to get that and make that interview happen, especially now that we have the baseball season starting. And speaking of baseball season, opening day, there's been some couple of interesting ha- things that have happened for those who let's start with this one. Since it's opening day, my man gets on one knee to go ahead and proposes to a girl. <laughs> <laughs> and this guy does a water boy flying WWF WWE flying in the air tackle 
that really sh- he should be signed up to be the next Brian Dawkins from the Eagles Hall of Famer. Tackle this guy so hard, and they haul him away. That is a proposal no one will never forget. What are your thoughts on that situation? Well, if there wasn't a sign before that, that might be the sign right there that maybe that's not the not the right move to make, you know, for for her. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> wow, I tell you what, I, I watched that here a little bit ago, and I tell you what, um, the only thing I would say is the form that the security guard took there would probably have gotten him a 15-yard penalty in the NFL, and he would have definitely gotten kicked out for targeting at the college level. That was a helmet-to-helmet hit right there. Um, but good tackle. you got to get that guy signed up to be a linebacker somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that was one heck of a hit. I mean, I felt bad for the guy. I mean, even the outfielder felt bad from, like, oh, my goodness. Like, this guy went flying five feet before he got to him. And you're right. If that happened in the NFL, you are going to get a personal foul. The XFL, that happened, you get a personal foul. And definitely, like you said, in college, you might get thrown out of the game. I mean – I personally thought it was a bit excessive of a hit. I understand why, you know, you get tackled like that. When you go on the field, you know, things happen. I've seen, I was actually at, speaking of that, I was at a raised game where somebody walked right past me and jumped right on the field because I had very good seats right by the, the foul line and it's a low fence. The guy literally ran right past me and then jumped on the fence and without no shirt on, <laughs> And he got tackled, and it wasn't it like that. I mean, they didn't line the guy up like this guy did, but if you go on the field and you get hit hard, unfortunately, you're kind of asking for it. That's why I understand what he's trying to do. Just ask her from the stands and have people videotape it. You're going to get a lot of attention. You're going to get shined. You don't need to jump gump on the field. I get it. Just don't do it because you're putting yourself in arm's way. That guy might go to concussion protocol for real, man. I mean, he got <laughs> hit by the blind side, too. He didn't even see it coming. Yeah, no, it almost was like uh, one of those videos that when you watch it. Um, and I I would say if anybody hasn't seen this yet, definitely look it up. But it's almost like one of those videos where you just don't see it coming for sure. I mean, it's just like this, this hit comes out of nowhere, even as watching it from the angle you don't see that guy come into the shot until you right on him. So, um, wow. Yeah. I, I will say this. That was a, a wow moment for sure. <laughs> now, would you, as far as the, the tackling and stuff, do you agree with somebody getting tackled on the field like that? Or, you know, and it happens in football too, where they come on the field and guy just blast them. I, my thing is, punks jump. There was a song that was very popular in, in the 90s when I was growing up, and it was called Punks Jump Up to Get Beat Down. If you do something silly <laughs> and you get <laughs> and you get annihilated, that is on you. Do not come to a ballpark or any football game doing something that's like that going on a field because you can get blown up. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Uh, my thought is this. If you're moving, and usually the guys in football are moving across the field, they're running one direction or the other or all directions, you get hit on the football field, you kind of ran down on the football field for that purpose, in my opinion. So you kind of had it coming. Um, I would say that in his situation, this guy isn't going anywhere. He's down on his knee. He doesn't see this coming. So in my opinion, 
I would agree. I think it was a little excessive. They should have just surrounded him. You know, if he tries to run, then tackle him. But no, there there was no need for that to happen. Yeah, that's that's a great way to say it. I, I don't. I think the hit was a bit excessive. I I understand why you would tackle someone. I get it, but he was in a non-threatening posture. You can just you know push him down or just put your knee on him down, put the handcuffs on. You didn't have to, you know, fly like your Jimmy Snooker back in the '90s or something off the top <laughs> off the top top rope or something. It, it was it was excessive. And speaking of that, with the celebs, Megan Thee Stallion, she was throwing out the first pitch, didn't know what direction the ball should be going at, and really, really like, I've never seen that one before where somebody was lined up, not at the catcher, but the opposite to the outfield. My thoughts are like this. If you're going to get thrown the first pitch, I get it. You're a celebrity. You don't play catch every single day. Someone just gives you an opportunity to throw the first pitch. At least prepare well for it. Warm your arm up a little bit and at least know where the ball is going to go. You don't have to throw a 90-mile-an-hour fastball. Just throw it so you get it over to the plate in one soup. Don't try to, you know, short hop it or something. At least try to get it in flight to the catcher at least do a little bit better job preparing. What are your thoughts on the first pitch? Well, I tell you what, there's so many of these out there um, that, you know, I think a lot of times people take those things, they don't, they take them seriously, but they don't take them seriously at the same time, if that makes any sense. Now, I will say this, her pitch was at least close to home plate. Yeah, at least it was. made it to the, to the catcher. Um, the one that I've always cracked up the most about, and I can't tell you how many times I've watched this video 50 Cent, I don't know how many years ago this was. It's probably been about ten, eight, 8 or 10 years ago. Apparently, I guess he's a Mets fan, uh, or at least he had a Mets jersey on. So um, <laughs> we got <laughs> to post this one on our Facebook page. It's pretty funny. Um, 50 Cent made a one-cent first pitch, basically. Um, he, he threw left-handed, and as he threw, and he didn't have very good form, by the way, either, at least uh, – um, uh, the girl last night had decent form when she made the throw. He threw left-handed, and it didn't even come anywhere close to home plate. It actually went over to the uh, first base side's uh, batter's box, or uh, uh, on-deck circle. And, I mean, we're talking probably as many feet away from where it was intended to go as he threw to throw it. So, um, but, no, I, it's a, that's a cool thing. I, I would be honored, honestly, Alan, if, if sometime – it doesn't have to even be a major league team if I got an opportunity to throw out a first pitch. And I'd be very well prepared for it, by the way. In fact, you know the guy that I would say threw out the best first pitch I've ever seen uh, happened at a, a really uh, hard time in our country back in 2001 was uh, George W. Bush throwing out the uh, first pitch in the World Series in 2001. Had that little conversation with Derek Jeter prior to, and he really gunned it right up there too. So uh, that's somebody you want to look at and say, hey, I want to feel like he did. He, he put some heat behind his throw. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. I mean, he did a magnificent job with that, and which was kind of not expected. He put some heat on it. I, I would just try to get a nice throw to the home plate because if you put some heat on it, you run the risk of now getting a pass ball, you know? <laughs> which, yeah. <laughs> which would still be better than 50 cents. I agree with you on that. And he wanted a do-over, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted, I mean, he wanted a do-over, but 
It's just like in golf, there are no do-overs. You know, I used to be um, told by a coach of mine, um, actually we had him on the program, Jeff Haig, a little over two years ago, um, million-dollar catch, five-cent throw, and that was definitely a five-cent throw by 50 cents. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so definitely check out Meg, Megan the Stallion. But, yeah, if you, that would be a great honor to throw the first pitch. You ask me, I would get my arm ready. And now, I would throw a good first pitch. To, to, to kind of throw this out there, too, we, we want to actually be asked to do it. We don't want to run out on the field like that guy did in L.A. and end up getting tackled while we're on the mound. We, we want to do this the right way. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm um, not going – trust me, that is one thing I will not do is ruin a game, jump on a field. I don't care how excited I am. I'm not going on the field unless I have a ticket or I have a media pass. There is, it is not going to happen. I'm just not going to do it. It's not my style. I, even if it was a proposal, do it on, do it, do it, you know, in between innings or something. You're going to get your shine. Believe me, you people go see you get on a knee. They're going to be like, what? You'll get their cameras ready. You're going to get some attention. So, yeah, not a good idea to just jump on the field. It's really not. It's, it's, yeah. No, I, I agree. Yeah, you got to gotta follow those rules that are on the back of your ticket when you make a purchase there. Uh, they're in the fine print. So, uh, But, yeah. Alan, ready for, uh, for bold prediction time? I want to go ahead and predict uh, awards. I don't have the rookie of the years up just yet because, um, obviously, different rookies are going to start playing here before too long. And um, But I did make the predictions here on both the NL and AL MVPs and Cy Young Awards. So here it goes. AL MVP is going to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr., of the Toronto Blue Jays. I have uh, National League MVP is going to be Atlanta's uh, Matt Wilson, first baseman there. Had a big spring, by the way. Hit eight home runs during the spring, led all of baseball in home runs during spring training. Um, American League Cy Young Award. This is going to be a pretty cool one, I think. Dylan Cease, he is a right-handed pitcher for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, he had a 220 ERA, and I think he won 14 games last year for Chicago. I see him being a 20-game winner this year. And an ERA right around two and a half. I see him winning the Cy Young. And then on the other side, another guy with a great mustache, that's Spencer Strider of the Braves. I have him uh, not only striking out 300-plus hitters this year, but winning the National League Cy Young Award. We're in uh, just a few days away from the Final Four. So our Final Four, my Final Four picks here for um, baseball. Two best teams in the National League. I have the Braves playing the Padres in the National League Championship Series. The Mariners, I had them play the Yankees in the American League Championship Series. I got Seattle over New York, Atlanta over San Diego. My World Series prediction is Atlanta over Seattle. Oh, wow. So, yeah, you got some pretty good picks there. Uh, I got the rookie of the year is going to go to Anthony Volpe. I, I just think that he's going to have a very, very good solid year. Still think it's wrong for you to put him in the category of Derek. As you mentioned earlier, there's only one Derek. Not that he can't do even better than Derek, but I just think putting on that type of pressure is unfair right off the bat. I really do. And I think, you know what, in the AL, as far as MVP, I still think Aaron Judge has a shot to do it back-to-back. I just think he's a fan favorite. I think he can do, like you mentioned, hit over 50 home runs. And I just think that he's in a big market, New York City, so he's going to get attention. If he has a very solid year, I see him getting the MVP again. And for the 
National League, that was tough. I, I wasn't able to predict the MVP just yet. So you got me on that one. But I will I will come up with that and let you guys know. All right, and then who is um who is your final four or your World Series uh matchup and, and pick? Yeah, for World Series, I I have I don't know about the Yankees going that far. <laughs> that was tough, man. I, I definitely do think I think the Braves can win it in the National League as far as all the whole thing. The Yankees have shown that they don't go as far in the in the playoffs. I think in American League, I got the Astros winning again. And I think it's going to be the Astros as well as the Braves. I got the Astros again winning it. I just, I just, I'm one of those people that I'm not going to write you off until you give me a reason to that worked really well with the Yankees when they were doing their dominance for many, many years, even though other teams were coming up strong. I still, I still think the Astros can find a way to sneak in and, and get a, another chip. Yeah, no, that's a very good pick. I think that Houston certainly is solid. I, I just feel like uh, on my side that um, Seattle is going to be that team that surprises people. I know they were a good team last year. They snuck in at the end, and they actually lost to the Astros in the playoffs. Um, but it's going to be a fun year. I think we're really excited to see, you know, what's going to happen. And there's always surprises in, the, in baseball. So it'll be fun to see what those surprises end up being as the season goes along. Yeah, absolutely. you got to – it's a long season. Things change, and it changes in a heartbeat. So it's going to be interesting to see. Now that games count, guys, you got to make sure that you keep your head, keep an eye on the ball at all times. Don't get hit by a foul ball or somebody diving into the, the stands to go get a foul ball. Stay more alert now that the games count, and definitely don't jump on the field. Yeah, no, 100% agree with that. <laughs> well, I know, Alan, uh, you, you put this uh, into our show notes here tonight. We have a brand-new song here as we are approaching uh, green jacket time here in mid, uh, mid-April. mid That's, of course, the Masters, so take it away. Yeah, we're going to do some Masters talk, but before we do that, we're going to debut, as you mentioned, a brand-new song, Masters, written by Sam Scola for, out of Maine. Really appreciate Sam Scola. And we appreciate definitely his beautiful wife, Mary. And definitely we're going to go ahead and play this song, let you guys know we appreciate them tremendously for writing the song Masters. It is a debut song that we're going to kick off the Masters and talk about that in just a few moments. But first, the Masters by Sam Scola out of Maine. Make sure you reach out to him because he is a great songwriter. Definitely you're a producer or music artist you need to talk to sam scola here's the song masters it's that time of year big names are here to win the big prize the dream in their eyes the masters Masters, 
There we go. Another oh. instant hit there by Sam Scola. That's perfect. That's right. Thank you, Marion. Thank you, Sam Scola. You guys are awesome. It's, it's a great song. Makes you want to go out to that green grass and win it myself. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but, yeah, speaking of Masters, that is a fantastic tournament. That's like the Super Bowl of golf tournaments. If you win the Masters and you don't win any other tournament throughout the year, you are the man. What are your thoughts about the Masters itself? I think it's, uh, first of all, I think it's one of the biggest sporting events that is maybe not given the due that it deserves. Um, think about the historical course there in Augusta, Georgia, um, the green jacket, the ambiance of the way that it all is uh, done. At the end, you have the prior year's champion putting the, the green jacket on whoever wins that particular year. Um, there's just so many traditions around it. Um, I personally put it right up there with World Series. I put it up there with historical things like the Indianapolis 500. You, you have, uh, you know, Indianapolis 500, you have the, the, the winner takes the swig of milk. So there's some really neat things that happen. The ambiance about it, I think, is probably the biggest thing about the Masters. And look, it's at the same course every year. Some of these other uh, majors, there's four majors, of course, in golf. Sometimes they play at different courses each year. So it's at the same place. It's in a small town in Georgia. Um, I've talked to people who've been there before. It's one of the most immaculate golf courses in not just the country, but in the whole world. So it's basically the Fenway Park of golf courses. So the, the, the tournament itself, obviously one person is going to walk away as a winner. And, you know, I remember 26 years ago now when Tiger Woods won it at, at uh, 21 years old. And he instantly became, if, if he didn't know who he was before then, he knew who he was then. So it's one of those things where whoever wins it, you're going to hear that name over and over and over again going forward. I remember when Bubba Watson won it, uh, what was it, 10 years ago, 12 years ago for the first time. And I'll, I'll tell you my favorite memory, to be quite honest, was back in 2004. Phil Mickelson had never won a major until that point. And I remember him sinking that putt, that long putt that he sank on the 18th hole. And he jumped in the air. And it was like he was frozen in the air for that few seconds as he was uh, just elated to have won. So there's a lot, of, a lot about it. And it really it's a dramatic finish, no matter who wins it or how they win it it's always seemed to be played up to be a dramatic finish, which is what I'm looking forward to this year. Yeah, it's great memories there. I remember when Tiger won it, and he had the crowd, that huge crowd following him. And the way he dominated, too, he won it by, what, 14, 15 strokes. It was like a ridiculous yeah. – <laughs> it was yeah. like a ridiculous one of the biggest number. Victories, yeah, one of the biggest victories, uh, I mean, just – you talk about domination. Um, you, know, you can talk about a team winning a Super Bowl by – 45 points you can talk about um you know a sweep in the world series or a sweep in the nba finals you know what the bulls did of course in the 90s was so uh so remarkable but for tiger to do that because golf is a game where you're really playing you're playing against other people but you're also playing against yourself there's a lot of mental aspects of playing the game of golf and if you don't believe me go out and try to play and tell me what you think afterwards um it definitely is not an easy thing to do for him to have won by that many strokes especially when there's other good golfers out there, it was remarkable. Um, it really so, was. And you knew he was going to win. You knew he was going to win, you know, probably the day the final round started, unless he just completely fell apart and somebody 
got really good. And even if they were really good, they still weren't going to win. So that was a remarkable tournament. I'd actually like to go back and watch that, that final round, especially that last couple holes uh, from 1997, I believe it was. And I'm looking forward to that happening again. I know we're not going to see that kind of domination, but I'm looking forward to another great tournament here coming up in just a few weeks. I am too. And since we are not going to be here for Good Friday, this will be the last week before the event. This will be, you know, next week we won't be here because of Good Friday. But yeah, it is. That was a remarkable. And that was his coming out party for you to have yeah. that relaxation at knowing that you're going to win the tournament. Like you said, coming into the last day, unless you completely fall apart or somebody really gets hot. And let's say the last two or three holes, he was so far ahead of everybody that you can just relax because you know you got this tournament and everybody followed him. It was like his coming out party. And it was like the exclamation point because I remember a couple of, especially this one report, I forget his name, interviewed him a few days before it. And he said, I come to the tournament to try to win. And he, and the guy said, Tiger even said, if you win second or third, that's not bad in a major tournament. It's not. But I'm coming there to win. That's what drives me is to win. And the guy was like being sarcastic and like kind of putting Tiger down in a way saying, hey, that's too unrealistic of an expectation for you to come to this Masters thinking you're going to win. But I'm like, the guy's mindset was winning. Why are you trying to be negative? You understand? Like he said, Tiger did admit, if you get second, third, or if you, it's not bad against this group of people. It's not bad at all. But my mindset is winning. It's not being second or third. And somebody who's actually won something, you know, like myself, I understood where Tiger was coming from. The reporter couldn't at all. I don't know if you ever saw that interview. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that specific one, but I know there, there were um... – there were doubters back then, and I think the good thing for Tiger Woods is he's that kind of guy who used that to his advantage. He probably enjoyed actually hearing people say, hey, I don't think you can do this because he fed off doing that. And obviously, look at the great career he's had all these years later, 26 years since he won that first um, first major, his, uh, his first Masters. And, you know, here he is now, what is he, 40? I'm doing the math right here, he's 47. So he's on the down down swing of his career he may not ever win another tournament uh, at least another major but um what a remarkable career he's provided for us to watch over the last nearly three decades exactly you know you, you can only do but so much and he doesn't owe anybody anything he's had a remarkable career to me he is the number one best golfer i have ever seen and yes he he may not eclipse jack nicholas as far as the major tournaments but it's not like I don't – I feel as if he could have. It's just unfortunate in a way he didn't because of a lot of factors. Number one, you know, his marital dispute, but also his body started to break down too. But I definitely think the biggest thing was him having the marital issues. But even that aside, to me, he is the greatest golfer I've ever seen. Anytime I think major tournament, Masters tournament, I think about Tiger winning that with all these crowds of people showing up, following him from hole to hole to hole. If there is a tournament I could win, a golf tournament, I'd take anyone, but I definitely would love to win in Augusta at that. At that, I got to go there. We got to cover it at the Allen and Aaron Sports Talk Raiders show, the Masters tournament. Props to Lou Pinelli. He went last year. He's probably going to go this year. So definitely shout out to Lou Pinelli, who does belong 
deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. So my prediction to win the Masters would be JT. My guy JT, he took a picture of me. He does really well in these <laughs> tournaments. I know he's a 16 to one. John Ram, John Rom, I beg your pardon. John Rom is higher up as far as to pick it. But I got my guy JT to win it. That's who I'm predicting to win the Masters tournament. Yeah, and I'll I'll um, I'll make a prediction as we get a little closer. Obviously, we will not be here next week, as Alan mentioned there before. Next uh, Friday is Good Friday, and we at the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk uh, Radio Show we definitely uh, like to observe uh, the holiday, of course, uh, here as well. So uh, we'll be back here, of course, in two weeks. That'll be basically halfway through the Masters tournament when we have our next uh, next show that airs. And Alan, uh, turning the page on Major League Baseball and on golf. Um, to the football side of things here as we close out the show here tonight. Um, XFL news, and then also your thoughts on the upcoming game between the D.C. Defenders and, of course, the Orlando Guardians. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. We you know, got some great XFL news is that there will be a 2024 season. So that's the great news there that they have announced it, which is Dwayne Johnson and Danny Garcia that they will be a 2024 season because we had to kind of see if this was going to play itself out. We'll talk about that in a few moments, but we do have a call online. So let's bring them on. Welcome to the Allen and Aaron sports Talk radio show. Yo. Hey, hey how you been? Going, this is Naj. Hey, I'm good, great. Man. Great. Doing fantastic. How about yourself? How you been? Hey, I'm all right, man. I'm, Actually, outside, uh, what would you call it? Hydrating, I guess we could say. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry about the dogs. <laughs> no, that's all right. Yeah, so you're you're literally outside. That's good. So you're getting some some fresh air and drinking some water there. Yep, only water, sir. Okay, <laughs> that's good here. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so what do you think about the XFL so far this year? Oh, you uh, you guys are getting into the XFL? I thought you were about to talk about the NFL. Uh, yeah, I, I'll just <laughs> yeah. I'll just wait a few till you get, till you guys get. No, to no, that, no. We you know what I mean? I'm NFL. good. I was just getting your opinion on it. No, just no, I don't, don't want to mess up the, your show order, man. Oh, we're good. Oh, no. no worries. NFL, no worries. Totally fine to talk about. Yeah, football, football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Football, no, I, football. <laughs> but yeah, so I, speaking man, of I just NFL, look at the XFL as. I'm I'm sorry, man. I, I I'm I'm just not interested. I haven't even gambled on it, so that should let you know. Uh, you know, I'm not really <laughs> checking for it, but I, I I don't know, man. I just don't believe in these things, man. When they have these these leagues like this, with college being the real minor league system, I just don't see the NFL ever putting the resources into this to make it into something. But l- let me hear you guys' opinions because you've obviously seen it this year. I haven't. Yeah, I think the XFL is, is very good. I definitely do think there's a lot of talent. And there are some guys on the XFL that I do believe can be playing in the NFL tomorrow. There's some talented players. So I'm glad that they're going to have another season. They did announce that they're going to have a 2024 season. So this already is going to be a better success than the first time around because it's not going to be a one and done season. It's going to be at least a second season. So they're going to come back and it's going to be, the gameplay has been very good 
I'll, I'll definitely give you guys a lot more insight on the XFL. But in the NFL, there's a lot of great things happening. Do you think uh, – what do you think Lamar Jackson's situation is going to end up being? Uh, now, this – you know, like this is the ultimate sports story because it ties into everything, economics, sports, labor issues, like everything is tied into this one story. So, to me, the biggest story is the collusion between NFL owners on deciding <laughs> – that Deshaun Watson's contract was a was a line too far, and I think there's a silent gentleman's agreement not to go over it, because in a league where quarterback play and great quarterback play is really scarce, the idea that the Atlanta Falcons and some of these other teams say, "Nah, we're good. We're, we're going to roll with Desmond Ritter. We're not going to go after this 26 year old franchise quarterback." Like this is absurd. Like there's no other time where we would see a quarterback like this. Uh, you know, be, I agree. Uh, be possible I agree. to pick 100%. up and nobody yeah. wants to do it. So I think, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, you basically took the words right out of my mouth there. You know, what he can be in the long term, I don't know. Obviously, he hasn't won a Super Bowl with the, the Ravens, but, you know, he's. I think he's one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. And it surprises me to no end that with, you know, don't get me wrong, there's some other good quarterbacks that were out there when free agency started. Aaron Rodgers is still sitting there. We don't know where the heck he's going to look like. That's a guy who you can build around for the next 10 years. I mean, think about how strong he is. He's a good guy, too, from everything I've read about him. So, this is a guy, I mean, look, Miami, uh, I love Tua, but it had to pick between going to win a Super Bowl Tua or Lamar. I'm going to pick Lamar. Same thing with I understand maybe the money aspect of it to some degree. I don't know what their cap situation is there or, you know, what they're looking at down the road, but you got to at least explore these things. It doesn't make any sense to me at all um, that he's still sitting out there. Now, my understanding is he doesn't have an agent. I think that might be the only thing I'd fault him for is not having an agent to, to you know, help him negotiate through these things. Maybe that's why he didn't sign an extension last, uh, you know, summer before the, the season got kicked off and everything, but, it, it is absolutely remarkable because, in my opinion, if I'm looking for a quarterback that's established in the NFL, that's available, whether it's a trade or for, through free agency, that I'm going to build around for a long period of time, he's one of the top two or three guys in the league that I would pick to do that. So it, it, it just baffles my mind. You're absolutely 100% correct that he hasn't been – that nothing's happened yet. We're still, we're still sitting here waiting, and we're almost a month into free agency. I mean, it just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense unless you always go by the theory of very wealthy men in private rooms uh, plan on, <laughs> plan on a lot of things that aren't against the interests of the local population. So, so to me, just the fact that these teams were coming out with the moment that the announcement was made about Lamar, and we just get these weird, vague statements from teams through their uh, yeah. local beat writer, uh, we're not going to be pursuing. Like what? This is the NFL where quarterback matters more they than anything. They know something that we don't know. Yeah. Two firsts and the yeah. money? Like, yeah, you do it. So, to me, no matter what, this is the classic case of the NFL doing way too much. And this is where you need a, an Al Davis, the outlaw who would tell Jerry and company to stick it and go sign him anyway. Uh, but some of these newer owners coming in, I mean, who, who's going to be the guy to buck against, you know, the more established ones who are already there who are telling you, like, look, if you pay this guy this, what happens when Burrow comes up? What happens when Herbert comes up? So th- this is the NFL ownership trying to make sure that they keep labor costs to a certain price. Meanwhile, 
we're in the midst of the NFL signing this YouTube deal, the Amazon deal. Like, more money is coming in than ever before. Uh, we're getting two Thursday night games teams now. So, you know, yeah, it is what yeah. it is, man. But as far as on the field, like, yeah, this should have been done already. It's a great player. Now where, we're going to get to the staring contest. Yeah. Where, where do you think he goes? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because think about it. We, we got to do the fight first. Him demanding a trade and saying he doesn't want to be there puts the onus on Baltimore now to where it's like, okay, can they even manage this situation? Because a quarterback is almost as powerful as an MLB star or NBA star in that he has a little bit of leverage if he refuses to show up. So, so that's where this gets tough. You know what? You're absolutely right. You got some great points there. I feel bad for Lamar because, you know, this is one of the reasons why I tell my kids not to copy someone because if you copy them too much, you might end up costing yourself. And that's what I feel like the Sean Watson, that the Sean Watson deal did for Lamar. He was watching what, you know, the Sean Watson got and, and rightfully so he should get something in the ballpark of him. But it obviously to me came about very early in the game that the Ravens were not going to give him anywhere close to that. They were going to give him a very good deal, but not $200 million plus guaranteed and all of that stuff. I think he could have already signed the deal if he was willing to take less money guaranteed because he has been hurt. But I am, I'm surprised that it's gotten to the point where he's asking for a trade and they're not going to make a deal with him. I'm not surprised, as you mentioned, to your point, that the owners are colluding against him because – it's been said once before, and I'll say it again, rich, you know, white guys, they stick together, and that's what they do. You know, like, hey, don't don't sign up for all this money guaranteed because you're going to drive up the price for me to get another project. To your point, when Burrow comes up, they stick together. They So that's what they do, and unfortunately, Lamar Jackson's in the middle. I feel bad for him because what are your thoughts on him watching the Deshaun Watson deal too much where it costs them now? an opportunity to at least get a, maybe not Deshaun deal, but a still a very good deal. What are your thoughts on that? Similarities with this in our own lives. Uh, American labor, like you think about the amount of unions that exist in America right now, really, really low percentage uh, labor. Like we're just getting rid of some of these uh, right to work laws that are existing in many states. So because of that, the best example like you can use for labor to have any negotiating power is star athletes. So a star athlete of Lamar, Jackson's caliber and age, I say, yeah, you push it. You you go for beyond Deshaun Watson. And you tell them, like, look, you're going to give a guy with off-the-field sexual misconduct problems and two ACL injuries all of that guaranteed money and tell me no? No, we're going to fight on this. So I, I, I kind of agree with it, even though I agree with you, he should have an agent. I think he does do himself a disservice by not having an agent who could kind of you know, leak the stories, uh, play teams against each other, you know, do, do the things that agents can do. But overall, though, I, I think he's right. But I, I think – I remember this, though. Uh, Bashadi told Joe Flacco if he wins the Super Bowl, he'd give him anything he wants. He won the Super Bowl, <laughs> he gave him that money, and I think Bashadi still has buyer's remorse about that, and I think that's affecting this a little bit too. Yeah, and you're right. People letting things in the past – interfere and yeah I, I agree with you on that and I just think that man I, I feel bad for Lamar because he's a great player he's he's definitely done his part 
I really do think he's deserving of a really, really nice deal. Do what I say that hey, he should get exactly what Deshaun Watson got. I I just don't think someone's willing to go that far. I think I thought that the Deshaun Watson deal was an anomaly. I really thought they just kind of like, hey, we want this guy, we want to secure him. They overpaid for him, and he was the guy who got kind of got the windfall of that. I don't think that usually happens. Where I think it really falls short is the guaranteed money. And that's what and to your point too, I do think Lamar should have should have should have gotten an agent. And you try to negotiate this in the beginning by yourself and you see you weren't really getting far, at that point it would have been wise, I think, to have gotten an agent because they would be the ones who would kinda, like you said, play teams against each other, get you some more money. Yeah, you may have had to pay the agent. But you would have got a deal, I feel, that was more attractive than what you're getting. Yeah, I mean, I agree, but it's just, man, it's hard to look at this as like a straightforward, honest brokering or negotiation anyway, just because of all the things we already listed, like the things that we already know. So at a certain point, it's like, (laughs) what are we actually doing here? Like we all know quarterbacks are not like anybody else on the roster and I think we're going to start to see them flex a little bit of that muscle because when it comes down to it these guys importance is similar to a a, a Joel Embiid or what you know whatever NBA player or whatever great pitcher you want to think of like their importance is that much for your team and your season and everything else so hey you, you got to go for your share and the share is getting much bigger because, like I just said, uh, you know, street, in the new streaming age of uh, sports viewing where sports games are still one of the highest priorities on TV because you can't DVR it, you can't have somebody tell you what happened, you actually want to watch it live or at least, you know, not see the score before you get a chance to watch it. So because of that, man, like – it's it's just way too much money out there for them to still be trying to be this stingy. Like, I, I understand, but if, if I'm sitting at home and I'm Lamar Jackson and I see Daniel Jones get $140 million, like, no, I'm not listening to anything they yeah. say when they say no. That's insane. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I definitely do agree with you on that. I definitely do think we we definitely – I didn't think it was going to get to this point with Lamar, and I'm surprised. I, I would have to say I am surprised that now it's it's pretty much a wrap. I, I don't see him playing for the Ravens going forward, which is a real – like, to your point, it's a real mistake because the NFL is a quarterback-driven league, and they're letting their franchise quarterback walk out the front door is what's going to happen. I, I think this – this relationship has already been severed and obviously they're not going to meet in the middle. So I think, I think it's a, it's a wrap. I I don't see him playing for Baltimore anymore. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like quarterbacks are less replaceable than NBA all-stars. So like an NBA team that moves off a player and starts to rebuild, you know, five to 10 years, they're going to find something in the draft. But when it comes to quarterbacks, dude, we've seen franchises spend their whole existence, which is why the Jets are sitting outside of big Joe Rogan fan Aaron Rodgers' house begging him to come over. Because I, I saw this stat the other day. Two of Aaron Rodgers' worst seasons would be in the top ten of quarterback seasons for the Jets. That's why they're <laughs> willing to put up with all of this and try to go get Aaron Rodgers, because the Jets know. Like, yo, man, it's not easy – 
to get in the draft and get a quarterback. They just tried it a couple years ago, and they got Zach Wilson there, who they can't wait to get rid of. No, you're yeah, right. That's right, Trent. Uh, Go ahead, Eric. That's a good point. You think about uh, two teams that I think about immediately when you said that are Miami Dolphins. You know, Dan Marino retired in 99. They might have their future in, in Tua, but obviously he's had some injuries and some inconsistencies. And then you think about the Denver Broncos. Uh, Elway retired in, I think it was 98 or 99. And it wasn't until they went out and picked up Peyton Manning at the very end of his career that they finally found somebody who was able to lead them to the promised land again. So the same type of thing is happening that happened in Denver, happened in Tampa, may now potentially happen with the Jets, as I said a few weeks ago, and that is you're catching lightning in a bottle. You're willing to take that huge risk. I don't think it's a big risk with Aaron Rodgers at all. I think it's actually a fairly minimal risk. But you're willing to take on some of the extra peripheral stuff, the, the um, you know personality stuff, and some of the weird things he does off the field too. I don't really understand all that um, myself. But you're willing to take all that stuff on in the biggest market in football in New York to potentially win a Super Bowl. You haven't won a Super Bowl in 53 or 54 years. So in my opinion, it's worth it. And I said this to Alan a week or two back. You look at when Tampa Bay, way back in 2002, when they moved on from Tony Dungy to uh, bring in uh, John Gruden, they traded two first and two second-round picks consecutive years to the Raiders to bring in John Gruden. And my point on that is if you knew 100% that you were going to win a Super Bowl because you made that trade, you're going to do that 100% of the time. So that's kind of where the Jets are right now. That deal needs to get done. And then on the other side – there needs to be some sort of a solution well before training camp or even well before the draft for this Lamar Jackson stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering what, what that window is for Ravens and for other teams and, like, what they want to do. Uh, because you bringing up Tua is really interesting because this is not the normal injury situation with Tua where a guy, you know, hurts his knee or his shoulder or something like that. We're talking about multiple concussions to the point yeah. of, they could go 10-0 and 0 next year, and in week 11, he gets a concussion. That could change the whole trajectory of the season. So, I, yeah, from Miami. Well, yeah, look at, look at what happened what to them this year. Doing. Yeah, look, look at what happened right. to them this past year. They were I – I forget what their record was. But they were at the – I mean, I know plenty of Miami Dolphins fans down here in Florida. So, seeing where they were early in the year, I want to say they were like 7-3 and three or something at one point, and then it might have been a fewer – games into the season and that but they were at the top of the division and suddenly that injury occurs and it's like you know now you're going to who was their backup at the time was it uh teddy bridgewater i believe was was in similar skill set (laughs) but a guy who's failed in multiple (laughs) other organizations so it's good to have a backup in there but when your franchise is basically like playing quarterback with fine china and one wrong move and suddenly he breaks and shatters into a million pieces that's a problem so i look at look i think lamar jackson is you know, first of all, I think he's a good guy, uh, certainly like that. And in comparison to Deshaun Watson, he certainly has better character. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but the, the talent is there, man. I mean, he is he's one of the top five talented quarterbacks in the NFL, and it just makes no sense, like you were saying that before. And, you know, hopefully in the next couple months, hopefully in the next couple weeks, we know something more about what will happen there. Maybe they'll try to reunite. I don't know. I kind of have my doubts. Like Alan said, I think uh, it seems like that ship has sailed. It seems more like it's sunk at this point, but – you know, never know what will happen. Uh, I'm telling you, man, these people are making me wish for the days of, uh, of Al Davis, man, where we had <laughs> NFL owners who probably weren't as wealthy as some of the guys now, but most of them had made their – they were pretty much independent thinkers, and you weren't going to tell them 
how to run their business. Like they weren't going to be there. Where now yeah. you got these conglomerates and these sons of billionaires who take over the team. These people are so corporate. I don't think they're able to think. A lot of them don't know anything about football. Yeah. Right. They don't know the first thing about the NFL. They don't know. They don't. I mean, they know the names. They know the the general stuff that most people who are you know uh, somewhat anything out there they they know the the general stuff, but they don't know the first thing about football. All these guys, which I think is because you mentioned Al Davis, he's a guy really not any middle ground. You either loved him or you hated him. Most people hate him at times. Some people probably went back and forth. It was one of those types of things for him. But you're absolutely right. He was kind of that pioneer in that he. He didn't let anybody bowl him over. He bowled them over. And, and the, you know, the other sad part about this is if Jerry wasn't tied to Dak's contract, Jerry would be the one to cross the picket line and take Lamar. <laughs> That's the yeah. funny thing about it. He would be a great – I tell you what, man, he'd be a great fit in Dallas. I wouldn't want to see it, but he'd be a great fit in Dallas. But I, I think the best place for him to go – and I, it's hard for me to say this because I'm a Packer fan, but in the uh, NFC North, I think the perfect fit for him, for Lamar Jackson, uh, of course, is who I'm speaking about here, Will be the Detroit Lions. They have they haven't had a franchise quarterback other than uh, of course uh, Matthew Stafford, but he didn't do anything for them. I mean he got them to the playoffs a few times, but you, you look at how how that team has progressed and gotten better over the last two years. You bring him into Detroit, man, they would love him there. Detroit's a great sports town. I think they would love him in Detroit if he was to go there. Yeah, and Dan Campbell has kind of brought that thing back. He brought on all former players as assistants. Uh, you know, you've seen the little HBO stuff with them, and they did a really good job. They surprised a lot of people last year. Yeah, I would love to see him in Detroit. Sorry, Jared Goff. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. <laughs> but, yeah, we we definitely appreciate you, Nas, calling in. show's running down now. But, yeah, we're going to keep right. you posted on more XFL and NFL news for sure. All right, man. Have a good you. weekend. You do the same. Appreciate Please. you giving us a call in today. Thank you for calling. Appreciate you. All right. Always so, great. yeah, always good to hear from him. He certainly has a lot of good insight there and uh, definitely some good topics there. And, again, I he and I are 100% on the same page on the Lamar Jackson stuff. It just doesn't make sense why he is still – why something hasn't been done, why there hasn't been, you know, a, a ramp up to a, an extension with the Ravens or, a tra- you know, what, whatever it is. It's going to be interesting to see over these next several weeks or months uh, what happens there. So, Alan, this was a great show here tonight. Definitely uh, glad we were able to to uh, be back. And, of course, as I mentioned previously, we will be out next week with uh, Good Friday. We'll look forward to talking to you again. I guess it's uh, I'm looking at the 14th of April, if I'm doing my math correctly here. So April, let's see here. Just Calendar sure. will not – yeah, just making sure I'm looking yeah, at the right dates here. It's going to be April 14th. April. We'll be back. So, again, guys, Good Friday we're out, but we will return April 14th. You know, this is what we do. We make sure that we give him praise. And speaking of that, we're going to give praise to our great sponsor, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce. So delicious and addicting. You may need a support group. And let me, in fact, play that song. We'll have a quick moment to do it real quick. Counting for variety, Chef G's Florida barbecue sauce, a natural flavor. Chef G's Florida barbecue sauce, Florida gold honey mustard on burgers and ribs. Chase 
Florida barbecue sauce. Serve on fish and vegetables. Chef cheese. Florida barbecue sauce. Chef cheese. Florida barbecue sauce. Chef cheese. Florida barbecue sauce. Thank you guys for that. FLBBQSauce.com. FLBBQSauce.com. I did want to say that as long as the Orlando Guardians can keep the penalties down, they have a shot in this game. But I do think the D.C. defenders will win this game. I don't think the Guardians will beat the D.C. defenders coming up tomorrow, which I will be at the game covering. I hate to say that, but I just think until they – the Orlando Guardians can cut down the, the penalties. They will have a shot, but I just don't think they'll be able to do it quick enough. So I do have the D.C. defenders winning. Any other thoughts you have, Aaron? No, that's it here, Alan. This has been a great show here tonight. I want to thank our guests here for calling in. Certainly another great show. Uh, once again, thanking uh, Chef G's Florida Barbecue Sauce, our uh, excellent sponsor there. And uh, for uh, for Lou and for our guests and then for uh, Alan here. This is Aaron signing off. Have a great week, everybody.